0: Anybody else excited to get into God's Word with me this morning? All right. I hope that you are. I'm excited. And uh, we get to get into a really cool parable this morning, and we're going to continue our parables of Jesus uh, series. And uh, man, it's been a really fun series where we're examining and looking at these, dissecting these parables, seeing how uh, the kingdom of God works and what it is, and How to be a part of it and what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God, and so we're going to continue to do that this morning. Jesus is going to give us um, a little bit fuller picture, a little bit of a picture of who's really a part of the kingdom and who's counterfeit in the kingdom, and so uh, I'm excited to talk to you about that this morning. And uh, here we go. All right. So the soils are are uh, it's the title of our message. So. If you are a reader, header, and you like to read from your own text, of course, it'll be on the screen, you can go to Matthew chapter 13, and we'll be starting in verse 1, so feel free to go there if you'd like, but we'll get there in just a moment. But before we get there, um, I wanted to open that with just, with a with a couple of, of stories, instances that maybe we can all relate to, okay? And uh, we all respond to to different things in different ways some of us are more radical in our expressions some of us are a little bit more toned down and calm and on the inside things are happening but you can't really see it on the outside maybe that uh, melissa laughs because that's like me on the inside things are happening but you don't know always she's like what's going on with you i don't even know yet give me time <laughs> um, uh, or, or, you know, so we all respond differently to different things You know, Melissa, for instance um, She's kind of, she's she's spunky Alright, that's a good way to describe her And so, you never know when you're walking around the house Okay, when you're walking around, you never know If Melissa's gonna pop out from behind a door Or b- from behind the closet Or in the pantry Or, you just, you never know, okay So, we Jack and I could be randomly walking down a hallway And here comes Melissa, blah, you know, just the just because she likes to see us all jump and scare us, okay? And and we do. Jack's gotten to the place where he actually thinks it's hilarious. First couple of times, scared him. He started crying. Melissa felt bad. Not too bad because she kept doing it. But then, like, he, you know, starts to, now he thinks it's hilarious. And now Jack is always hiding behind a door to jump out and scare somebody when they're coming through so we respond different things different ways uh, maybe some of you uh, are dads in here or you interacted with your dad in this way or you've seen a dad act like this we have all seen this okay this is how it goes they have their little girl she wants something okay she goes ask mom no I'm not giving you that what are you talking about like you know they, they you get the annoyed eyes from mom and daughter okay but then she goes to daddy all right and daddy and then just with a little eye bat, a soft voice, he's butter. He's just melted. And that girl can ask for whatever she wants, right? And she's going to get it, right? Because, you know, he, we respond to different things different ways. Maybe um, you've gone on a cool vacation. I think of kids when I think of this example. Maybe you've seen this with kids. They go, you go you've planned this really cool vacation, and you go you're there, you're doing all these fun things, and now, like, just one thing, like, wrong happened with, like, with the experience of your kids, and now it's ruined the entire vacation for them. Like, it's like you just had to leave the zoo, you know, five minutes earlier. They didn't get to see the animal they wanted to, or they didn't get to do this or that that they were counting on, and now everything else is ruined, right? We respond to different things different ways. And here's here's my point in telling you this story. How you respond determines the fruitfulness of that experience or the lack of fruitfulness of that experience. How you respond, how you react, how you respond to different things in life determines the fruitfulness or lack thereof of that experience. Determines the result of that experience. And so in this parable that we're going to read here in just a second, we see something very interesting. Jesus tells us this parable about uh, the kingdom and who's in, and 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 it's by this seed. The seed is cast on different soils, different types of soils that represent different responses to the message of Jesus' kingdom. And we get a unique privilege with this parable because um, it's not very often when you're reading through the Gospels that Jesus explains his parables. He does that only a couple of times, and we get the unique privilege of being able to see how Jesus himself interprets his own parable, right? A lot of times when we've been doing this parable series, we have to interpret it, right? We have to go, okay, this is what we think this uh, equates to, and this is, you know, is, as far as for us, because there are a lot of times ag- agricultural sorts of things, right, so we're having to go, okay, this is what we think this is pointing to in our lives, but with this one, there's really not a whole lot of guessing. Y- you can read Jesus' interpretation for ourselves, and we're going to this morning in Matthew chapter 13, so uh, you can follow along on the screen, or you can uh, pull out your phone or your own Bible and follow along there. Verse 1. Later that same day, Jesus left the house and sat beside the lake. A large crowd soon gathered around him, so he got into a boat. Then he sat there and taught as the people stood on the shore. He told many stories in the form of parables, such as this one Listen, a farmer went out to plant some seeds. As he scattered them across the field, some seeds fell on a footpath, and the birds came and ate them. Other seeds fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seeds sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow. But the plants soon wilted under the hot sun, and since they didn't have deep roots, they died. Still other seed fell on fertile soil, and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much as had been planted. Anyone with ears should listen. And understand. Anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. Now, listen. So we're going to skip on to um, verses 18 through 23 here and see how Jesus himself interprets his own parable. Now listen to the explanation of the parable about the farmer planting seeds. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message about the kingdom and don't understand it. Then the evil one comes and snatches away the seed that was planted in their hearts. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they didn't have deep roots, they they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's Word, but all too quickly the message is crowded out by the worries of life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. The seed that fell on good soil represents those who truly hear and understand God's Word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much as had been planted, right? Right? So we get a little bit of a picture. He tells us what these things mean, and now we get the privilege of drawing out application, really. I mean, this is the the job of looking at this passage this morning, is to draw out the application. And Jesus means for us to examine our hearts. He means for us to examine and go, am I one of these other soils that was not the good soil? Do I have a tendency to react or to respond or to approach my relationship with God in a way that might be consistent with one of these other soils? He means for us to do that because, listen, there's, there's more than one place where Jesus points out the fact that not everybody who enters in the kingdom of God, not everyone who one day will stand before God is going to get into heaven. It's going to actually get into the kingdom and the new heavens and new earth at which he's created. Some people will stand before God and go, um, hey, you know what? We were prophesying in your name. He's talking to Pentecostals like us, by the way. We were prophesying. We did miracles. We were casting out demons. We were doing all this stuff. We were really busy for God. He's talking to preachers, by the way, even. <laughs> a little scary, because I fall in that category. He's going, you know what? You were really busy doing a bunch of stuff for God, but I don't know you. I'm sorry. I don't know you. You're not. And there's going to be a lot of people who are really shocked. Have you ever witnessed somebody, uh, maybe you've been, for some of us, we've uh, we been in the church for a long time, some of us are new. Wherever you're at on the spectrum, glad you're here, wonderful. Even if you're new, I'm actually really glad you're here because uh, you have a zeal and enthusiasm that a lot of us have can learn from, okay? So I'm not saying anything against people who are new. But if you've been around church for a while, you may have seen this, okay, where somebody comes to uh, uh, relationship with god and then they're they really seem to have this fire about them they're like doing the deal they start getting plugged in in life group they start plugging in and like serving in areas and and then you're going man this is just wonderful to watch what god's doing in this life and then some somewhere along the lines you you you, you just go where where are they hey do you know what happened to so and so and they're just, they're gone. They've gone back to kind of their old lifestyle. They've gone back to their own friends. They've gone back to doing things the way that they had before. And you wonder, what happened? They seem to be loving Jesus. They seem to be doing the deal. What happened? Like, what, what, what along the lines did it really not sink in? This is what Jesus is talking about. He's talking about people who, um, and, and, and there's one soil where, okay, you know they, know they, you know they didn't get it, right? Because they're saying no before they've even heard it, right? But there's a couple where, where the, the seed actually starts to grow, but it doesn't last. And Jesus is saying, this soil is counterfeit. It's not real Christianity. Real Christianity sticks to the end. It perseveres. It, it doesn't just fade out. And so Jesus is really offering us an explanation this morning. And if you're newer to the faith and you see that happen, you might even see that with Christian leaders to where they're like, man, you're going, oh, they're doing the deal. But what, what do we hear sometimes in news headlines? You know, they point out how this or that Christian leader has... Um, gone off to a un-Christian lifestyle or something like that. And we go, how does that happen? Well, Jesus offers us the explanation this morning. This is how it happens. Now, very quickly here, um, you might notice if you were reading from your own Bible um, or if you saw it on your phone that we skipped over a portion here in the, in between the parable and the and the explanation of the parable, where Jesus offers an explanation for why he uses parables in the first place. Okay, now it's not, and you're like, well, Eric, what's what's up with that, man? You trying to avoid something? No, I'm just trying to spend the bulk of our time on the parable itself. But um, but this uh. Uh, par- the, the place where he does offer explanation, it does help us, it does highlight for us the greater context, gives us greater context for understanding this, this parable. And so I'm going to just go over it just briefly here to try, to try to show us the importance of this parable before we get to the application of the parable. See, his explanation for using parables can be boiled down to verse 12, which we didn't read. I'm going to read it for you here. To those who listen to my teaching, more understanding will be given, and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But for those who are not listening, even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. What he's saying is really quite logical, but it, it it brushes against us a little bit. We don't, for some reason, like that. We well, why are they being given more? You know, just because they were listening. Oh, and then they weren't faithful with what they had, and so it's going to be taken from them. Oh, that sounds that sounds pretty bad, but it's really quite logical. It's actually part of the the prayer that Melissa and I pray over our boys each night is God, help them to be faithful with small things so they can be faithful with much. Help them to fail in small ways now so they don't fail in big ways later. What he's saying is that um, if you're faithful with what you've been given, that faithfulness will lead to you being able to be faithful with much more. This is why he's saying like, okay, if you're hearing what I'm saying, if you're, if you're responding the way that, that you should be to the kingdom of God, more is going to be given. If you're faithful with the little that I'm giving you, more will be given. And I actually think this is quite, quite gracious of Jesus too because I feel like we're responsible for what we know. You're not responsible for what you don't know. If you're not faithful with the little that you've been given, well, then why would it make sense that you would be able to hang on to the little that you'd be given? Because you're not being faithful with it. It'll lead to the loss of what you had. And so you go, "What's what's the point, Eric, for why is this important for our parable this morning? Well, Jesus is giving us a warning. He's saying, be careful how you hear. Be careful how you respond to the message of the kingdom because it will determine the fruitfulness or the lack thereof. Remember, everything that, however you respond to situations in life, that'll, that'll determine the fruitfulness or lack thereof of that experience. And it's no different with the kingdom, the kingdom message of Jesus. So he's saying, be careful how you hear. Or to quote Paul when he talks to the Romans in chapter 10, verse 17. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. So what is happening? Jesus is saying faithfulness leads to fruitfulness. But it all depends on how you hear. Faithfulness leads to fruitfulness, but it all depends on how you hear, how you respond to the message of the kingdom. Well, you say, well, Eric, what is this kingdom? What is this good news um, that I should be responding to? Well, Jesus narrows the playing field here. He says, essentially, there's four kinds of people, not eight, four. Sorry, I'm holding up two hands. All right, so four kinds of people, all right? And he shows us that in the different soils. And how you respond determines which one you are, how you... Uh, how, how you're interacting with the kingdom everybody lives for some kingdom Everybody, even If it's not Jesus' kingdom, you're living for some sort of kingdom. And Jesus, again and again, throughout the Gospels and in these parables, he's saying, I'm the true king of your hearts. I'm the one through which you were made for. I'm the one who's going to lead you to God because that's who you were made for. You were made by God and for God. I don't know if you've heard me, like whenever I preach, I always put that in there because it's true and we need to hear it. You were made by God and for God. That's where you're going to find um, fruitfulness in your life. So Jesus is saying, I'm the true king of your heart. Stop chasing these other kingdoms of stuff or, or, or your job. Stop trying to make your life meaningful in all these other ways through that relationship. Or if I could only just get fill in the blank." it's not going to work. I'm the true king of your heart. That's why I came. If only you would humble yourself and see your need for me, then you would have life. If you would stop trying to make your life yourself, you know what? Then you'll actually find life in me. Stop trying to work it out yourself. I'm the one who came to give you life. And he doesn't want to just make you um, moral. He wants to make you a whole different sort of human being right? The whole different, Jesus said, said like, uh, do you remember what he said to Nicodemus? He said, I, I came, that you, you have to be born all over again, Nicodemus. You got to be born all over again. He's like, well, how, how could I ever do that? He wants to make you whole, it's like being born all over again. Not just moral, not self-discovery where you're just living your life how you want. There's a third kind of humanity, and it's within Jesus' kingdom. He doesn't want just intellectual um, Intellectual acknowledgement, he wants your desires. He wants your desires to be motivated and turned to him. He doesn't just want you to be looking forward to heaven. He wants you to live as agents of his kingdom right here and right now so that when people look at your life, they go, wow, there's something. they're a whole different kind of human. I've never seen anybody like that. So this is Jesus' kingdom. And because some might accuse God of not making his kingdom obvious enough, let me point out a couple of contrasts between the kingdoms of the world and Jesus' kingdom. Tim Keller points out that Jesus' kingdom comes by giving a hearing, while the kingdoms of this world work to get a hearing. Jesus' kingdom comes quietly and gradually like a seed while the kingdoms of the world come through with coercion like a wrecking ball trying to get their word out, while the kingdom of God really comes by us hearing. Jesus' kingdom works from the inside out, transforming the soil while the kingdoms of this world only work on the external and the superficial. It's on the outside. It's just we're trying to correct things, but it's never getting to the root of what's actually broken. This is Jesus' kingdom. And people who are like this, and the reason I say this is because some people accuse God of going, why doesn't he just write it in the sky for me? Why doesn't he just make it so clear and so plain that he's the true king of my heart and that I should be living for him? Because that's not the way Jesus' kingdom works. He's not a kingdom like this world. That's what a kingdom of this world would do. They'd go get one of the planes and drive all over the world with this banner behind it saying, believe in me. That, that's the way the kingdoms of the world work. But the, kingdoms, uh, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus' kingdom, it's not like that. It's, it's, it looks insignificant at first, you know? It's like a mustard seed. Remember that when Pastor Rich talked about that? It's slow. It's gradual. It works from the inside out. It works to transform, not just to put a mask over it and to work superficially. No, he wants to change you completely. And how you respond determines your spiritual fruitfulness. Okay, now, enough of that. Let's get into the soils themselves. Okay, so the first soil is this, the hard-hearted soil. Hard-hearted soil. So you see the the soil here of a of a path. Um, remember how Jesus pointed out we've got one soil. Some seed was some seed seed was scattered amongst the path, a footpath, right? And it can't grow. There, it's too hard. It's dense. And so it's snatched away by the birds. There's it's full. It's a uh, it's exposed to the elements there's not anything around so the birds can easily come along grab the seed and it's gone and it doesn't even get a chance to get root at all and so jesus says that's like satan with the birds how the how how the birds come with this person and snatch away the word as soon as they hear it jesus says this person hears the good news that jesus has come to make them right with god their maker their purpose but they don't even want to hear it. They've made up their mind before they even hear what you have to say. They brush it aside. They give it no consideration. Have you ever met somebody who can't be helped? And you know what I mean by, so an example of this might be, um, I, I, I'm not thinking of a specific um, individual. This is just an instance, okay, in case you're wondering. Some of you people might like, it's like, wow, well, I wonder who he's talking about. It's not a point, okay? This is just a fictional story. Imagine a couple, right? they come for marriage counseling, and you can talk till you're blue in the face, you can give them all the right things to do, here's what you got to do, here's what you got to do, read this book, you know what, you really need to, you know, have uh, open and truthful conversation, you can give them all the different things that they can do to help their marriage move forward, but if one or both of them is hard-hearted, you may as well stop talking. Because nothing's going to happen until somebody grows a soft heart. Until somebody decides to repent and go, okay, I'm, I, I, need to, I need to do something different. I need to grow. I'm not doing something. As long as they're hard-hearted, there's really going to be no helping them. Some people, you just do the best you can to help them. You do the best you can, but you can recognize in the conversation and in, a lot of times reveals itself pretty quick on, okay, we may as well just stop talking because you need to uh, have more of a soft heart before we go any further. Some people just won't be helped. This is that person. This person could very well even be a church per, church-going person who's grown so content with just hearing and hearing and never doing anything about it, never applying it to their heart, and there's actually great danger in, with this person great danger in coming and sitting to messages again and again and again and again because, and all the while, on the inside, arguing, blame-shifting, thinking, oh, it's on somebody else, you know, you, and the word never, it, you, it never actually applies to your heart. You're, you're too hard-hearted. You're just hearing but never doing anything about it. it never applies to your heart, and thus, you're growing harder and harder every time you hear it. You know what? It'd be actually better off for you to not sit here and listen to it again and again, or decide to do something and apply it to your heart. So then we have the second soil, and uh, this would be the shallow-hearted. The shallow-hearted. Um, these pictures actually, I think, got um, flip flopped around. You guys, go back to the first. Go back to the first slide, please. Um, there we go. This one is actually. So he says it's the the rocky soil. And you can see with the rocky soil like that, that you, you can actually get some small plants to begin to take root. But as soon as the sun comes out on this, and it gets to be 100 degrees like it was yesterday. I took a walk last night. I was like, oh, my goodness. This is like what it must be like when it... Things with her, okay? Because it was terrible, and uh, uh, the sun's going to scorch all of these little plants. They don't have much of a root. If you go over and you were to pull them out, you you know what it's like when you're pulling weeds at your house in your driveway, okay? They just have shallow, shallow roots. And he says some some counterfeits are like this. They're they're the shallow-hearted. They spring up. They receive the gospel of the kingdom with joy, but trouble and persecution comes, and they leave. They're done. It's not like they just moved to a different town. No, they're, they're done with that, with what happened in their life, that Christian season in their life. They're done with that because the root never took, and thus they were never able to be fruitful. The roots never grew, so they were never fruitful. And it would seem... That they've received the gospel, but not truly. They've only appeared to receive the gospel. But the sun brought out their true colors. The sun brought out their true motive. And what is the sun? Remember how he said the the, the persecution. Every, this, person, this person receives the gospel, but it's only a, a get out of hell free card to them. They come to Jesus to be happy. They want to make, that Jesus, make me happy. Make my life work good. Why don't you, like, can you just please be my genie and make all the things be good in my life? Make me happy. They want all the good stuff, but they don't want the sacrifice that comes with living for Jesus in a broken world. What's true of Jesus? What happened to Jesus? They put him on a cross and killed him. What's true of him It's going to be true of him. Is, a, is, a te- is, a, uh, is the servant greater than his master? no. No, we're, so what's going to be true of the master is going to be true of the servant. This person is driven by what they feel, not by what's true. They're Driven by their feelings, their emotional Christianity, which I might say um, a, a lot of times find its way. I'm not against emotion. I think God's made us to be emotional people. But if your, if your relationship to Jesus is purely based on emotion, then you've got a problem, Right? because then you can't bear fruit. They stop praying because it's hard. They stop reading the word because they didn't get anything out of it. They stop being a part of the body and, and getting in Christian community because somebody bruised their ego. They're driven by feeling. And... uh so, you, you might notice if I'm, if I'm prepared for a message, I can quote a lot of different people. If I'm not super prepared, then I just quote Tim Keller or C.S. Lewis. So, Tim Keller says, once, uh, once said this that there's great danger in great music and great preaching. You're like, what are you talking about? Great danger with great music and great preaching. What does he mean? What, it, what I think he means to say is that some people will only feel as though they're close to God as long as they're stirred by great music, and, oh, wasn't the worship so good today? Oh, I just felt like God's presence was there, and, like, oh, I just got these goosebumps. Can you feel these goosebumps? It's so good. Like, they're all about the feeling. They just want to feel good, and then when the message comes, it's like, oh, what a dynamic preacher. He, man, he just, like, I was, like, dialed in the whole time. It was so good, and what Was it about? I don't know, but he was a good preacher, man. They're driven by emotion. They feel all of these things, and that's the reason they feel good about being in church, and that's why they'll stay to church. But as soon as they get a bum preacher who, like maybe he comes in and he's not preaching their style or whatever, and the word, I'm not talking about preachers who don't preach the gospel, okay? The the gospel and the word still going forward, but it's not how they like it. It doesn't stir them emotionally. So they go yeah, I just feel like God's leading me to like this other church over here. Like, I just really feel like this has been like stirring in my heart. I need to like go over here. And it's like, no, you're just not being, st- I'm not saying that God doesn't call people to go to different churches. Don't read into that. But you know what I'm saying? Like, they're, they're, they're not being stirred emotionally. Jonathan Edwards, the great uh, reformed preacher of the 1700s, um, saw, uh, he was preaching at, uh, in the Americas uh, during the time of the Great Awakening, revivals breaking out across the the, the, the colonies and what what was our nation at the time, uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley at the same time they 're all traveling through and preaching the gospel. People are really coming to know and, and, and with emotion too they 're coming to know Jesus and they 're coming to know Jesus with like emotionally their, their, their response physically to what Jesus is doing spiritually by his spirit is is emotional, right? They're having this emotional coming, uh, to know, to coming to know God. And that was even happening in Jonathan's Edwards' church, okay? People are weeping and coming to repentance and falling before, uh, falling down and just, but this is how they did it. He was so afraid to drive people there through emotional manipulation that he would read his messages word for word. Good morning. The word of the Lord this morning is, and he would read. No tone inflection, no volume changes. He would look straight ahead, and that was how, And people are falling in repentance as he's reading like that. If I read my message like that this morning, I wonder how many people would be like, oh my gosh, what a terrible message this morning. But he didn't rely on emotion. One writer said it like this, he usually spoke quietly with dignity, though emphatically, and his voice Was unsuitable for preaching to large crowds. He never used loud volume or exaggerated gestures like me. All right? He relied on striking imagery and logical argument. But yet, revival was breaking out in his church. Isn't that interesting? It wasn't the second soil. He didn't drive them there emotionally. Faith. Faith is how the seed grows, not feeling. So faith in your life, trust in what is true, has to trump feeling. No one ever said that following Jesus was going to be easy. So then when you have the third soil. And we'll call this one the, the crowded, the crowded heart. So you can see you have thorns, you have weeds, there uh, things are able to grow, but it's awfully crowded. The crowded heart. This the seed was spread among thorns. The seed among the thorns was allowed to grow for just a time, but it was choked out by all the weeds. There were too many other things that were growing up, so it wasn't really able to become fruitful. What's common amongst all of these first three is that the seed was never fruitful, except for the last one. And so um, the weeds, Jesus says, represent the worries of life. And the desire for wealth and stuff. And, and there, there, there's this tension in this heart. There's this tension of, I, I want to grow. I, I wish I could grow. I wish I could grow in my relationship with God, but I'm just so busy. I'm just so busy. Like, I just can't get into God's word. I just don't really have time. I just don't really have time to pray or to go to life group or to be a part of, like, Christian community where people can really sharpen me. I just don't really have, you know, the time to do that. They're a crowded heart. They don't really pray, you know, have you ever, you have the conversations with people sometime and you can, you know, after you get to know them a little bit, you can start to kind of pinpoint some of what their priorities are in their lives and you you can begin to see it, okay, you wish you could grow in God, but you're never going to. You're never going to as long as you keep making room in your life for all of these other things that are really of greater importance to you. They're really what you're living for. That's really what your life is all about. And so those things choke out their relationship to God, and they are not fruitful and I'm not looking to guilt trip anyone here. I'm not trying to say like if you're a busy person or whatever, like this is like I said earlier, this message is highly applicable to people who are doing a lot of things for God because they think that they're doing equals a relationship to God when really it's it's not it's not like that and so So I'm not looking to guilt trip anyone, but there's never been anyone who's been close to God who hasn't spent much time in prayer. You'll never find someone who has a dynamic relationship to God and they don't spend much time in prayer. And you'll never find someone who spends much time in prayer who doesn't also spend much time growing in their understanding of God's word because that's what feeds their time with God, right? That's just the way it works. You're as close to God as you want to be. You can be as close to God as you want to be, but what is your real desire? Is your real desire for these other things, if I could only get fill in the blank, then you'd be happy? Or um, to answer the question, maybe we can answer it this way. What, what in your life, if you lost it, would crush you? What in your life, if it were, what's the one thing that if somebody took it away from you and you lost it, it would devastate your existence? What's that one thing? Maybe that's the one thing that has the danger of crowding out your relationship to Jesus. John Ortberg wrote in one of his books, he's he's a pastor, and he had a close relationship to uh, a philosopher and spiritual formation writer named Dallas Willard. And John Ortberg recounts this instance where he was seeking advice from Dallas Willard, and John spoke of how busy he was doing things for God, and, but al- although he was doing all these things, he was a pastor leading this church, I've got, I just don't have time for anything. He felt like he was spinning his wheels, and so after listening to all that John had to say, he goes, and then, and then uh, John goes, what, what's your advice, Dallas? And, and so Dallas says this one phrase to him. Ruthlessly extinguish hurry from your life. That's all you need to do. And he goes, really, that, that's it? That's the one thing? Yeah, ruthlessly. Ruthlessly extinguish hurry from your life. Now, you might be busy. It's okay, like, to be busy to some degree. And, and Ortberg reflects on this, and he goes, Jesus may have been busy himself, but he was never hurried. Jesus may have been busy, too, but he was never hurried. Or er, Another example of this, um, the great reformer Martin Luther. The more he had to do in a day, the earlier he would rise to pray. The more he had to do in one day, the earlier he would rise to pray. Because he knew where his power came from. He knew what was priority. He knew where he needed to grow. It wasn't just in doing things. It was with remaining in Jesus. It was being in him. And so the common trait of all these soils so far is that they don't bear fruit. The last soil here as we close Um, The soft-hearted. Soft-hearted. You can see that it's fertile. The roots can grow deep. The seed has opportunity to grow and bear fruit. And it uh, produces 30, 60, 100 times as much as what was planted. The fruit is what shows that it was truly good soil. Now, what is this fruit? Is it merely doing good deeds? I think that's where our minds automatically go when it comes to fruitfulness. We go, oh, that must mean that they're doing a lot of good things for Jesus. But there's a lot of people who are of uh, other religious uh, uh, prescriptions and they do a lot of good things too. So it can't just be merely doing good things. Or think of the example I said earlier in Matthew 7 when Jesus will say to some who were doing a lot for him, but yet they didn't get into the kingdom. So what is it that it can't just be good deeds then what is Jesus talking about something deeper it's got to be he's got to be pointing to something deeper and to quote Dallas Willard again, the most important thing about you is not the things that you achieve it's the person you become it's not the so what is he saying he's Pointing to John chapter 15, 5. I think that that's the, the scripture equivalent to what Dallas Willard says. When Jesus said, yes, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. They don't have to work and like, oh, I gotta keep doing all these things so that God thinks I'm really awesome and that I, you know, impress him or whatever. No, you just remain in him and you will be fruitful. You remain in him. For a part, From me, you can do nothing, is what Jesus says. So I'm going to invite Ashley just to come up and play uh, softly here as we close and and pray together. As I'm going to try to ask you some questions. Um, When it comes to times like this, sometimes we can be so quick to be thinking of somebody else or to think, oh, this doesn't apply to me. Don't too quickly write off some of these questions. Don't too quickly write off some of the characteristics of these soils because um, we're all works in progress, right? My goal this morning is not to make everyone feel like they're not a Christian. Oh man, I need to like get saved all over again. No, I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is I need to go, God, cultivate in me soft soil that's fertile and that can grow where I can be fruitful. So let me ask you, Why do you come to Jesus? Why do you even come to him in the first place? Is he he just there to make you happy to where you go, I just, it's nice to have somebody when I'm really in need. Or is he, is he the one you go to when you express your joy and your sorrow, when you're in need and when things are great? Is he just your lifeline? Do you just want to not go to hell? I just want I just don't want to go to hell. I don't really want Jesus. I just don't want all that to happen. So if that's if it means I have to go and sit in some church services then okay. That's not being a Christian. <laughs> You're going to be sadly disappointed when you meet Jesus. Okay? Does following Jesus does it sound good? But the true desire of your heart is really for something else other than Jesus. Do you really long for something else? Or do you long for him? Do you just want him? I just want all that God has for me. I just want to know him. I just want to know his plan for me. I just want to be close to him. Like, he's everything. Or maybe you're just completely hard to Jesus. And you maybe you come and you sit in these services again and again and again, but you just find that you're growing harder and harder and harder of a person. <laughs> I was thinking about this part in particular As I was reflecting on this message, when you're writing a message, just when you're driving around or you're going to bed, you just find yourself like reflecting and thinking about it. And I was thinking about this part of how churches are filled with wonderfully fruitful, soft hearted people, and then also extremely hard, hard, hard hearted people. It's kind of like the two extremes that find themselves in uh, the auditoriums of our church buildings because. There are some people who just come and sit and sit and get harder and harder and harder. Some people get more and more and more and more fruitful. So you end up with kind of the spectrums in there. Are you hard-hearted? Do you need to come to him this morning and go, God, I recognize my need for you? Christianity will humble you down to the dirt, but it'll also give you confidence that cannot be taken away from anyone. It's not resting in anyone else's approval of you Because your approval only rests in what God says about you And when you humble yourself enough to come to Jesus Then you get all the confidence that no one else can take away This is how the kingdom works So maybe, maybe you need to come to him this morning and go "All right, I'm going to humble my heart before you this morning God, I need you, I want you, I want your plans for me I don't want just all the stuff I don't want just your stuff, I want you a lot of times we think we're coming to Jesus, but we just want his stuff. We want him to bless us. But we don't just want him. Do you just want him? So I'm gonna pray this morning, and I'm not gonna have you say a prayer after me because my prayer doesn't save you. you. You pray. If you're online this morning and you're going, I'm watching this and I'm feeling the conviction, and you're going, I need to come to Jesus, then you pray. There's no formula of words that saves you. It's, a, it's the, the response of your heart. That's what we are talking about this morning, Right? The response of your heart determines the fruitfulness. And so your heart, just, just pray. You're one prayer away of just going, God, I want you in my life, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for being so good and gracious and kind. And thank you, God, that you pursue us with your word and that your word is sharper than a two-edged sword God, and that it's able to drive right down to the core of who we are and reveal to us our own brokenness. So, God, I pray that we would recognize where we're off, where we fall in these soils. God, make us fertile soil. Don't make us like the, the soil on the path. God, I pray that we wouldn't be rocky or shallow soil or the, the soil that's a crowded and divided heart. Lord, I pray that our devotion would be singularly set on you and that the world would take notice this week because we drew near to you, and you drew near to us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, we love you guys, and we're so ex- happy that you are here and that you're excited that you're here, and we believe that God's got great things for us going forward, and uh, we invite you to uh, be sharing that message with your, with your spheres of influence, and you'll make a huge difference. All right, we love you. God bless. We'll see you guys on next Sunday.